So this Advent season, I've been trying to figure out a good way to include Noah, uh, one of the star donkeys here, uh, in an Advent celebration, our preparation uh, for Christ's coming. Every night before um, she goes to bed, we say our good nights and we pray and <coughs> we add a little Advent flavor to our prayer. We thank God for our family and our friends and for our home and our food and usually some pink toy that she's really stoked about right now. We thank God for Oak Church and, and for Canoe and Gospel Baptist and Gathering Church. And we reflect on our day and we look forward to the next and we punctuate our prayers with, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Now first that seemed like a simple way to include her, right? Uh, a straightforward way to mark our time as special, as separate. O come, O come, Emmanuel. But the more we do it, the more it strikes me uh, that that feeling, that longing, should always be part of our prayers. O come, O come, Emmanuel. It's probably the best prayer we can have for our friends and for our family, for our community, for our neighbors, for our enemies even. O come, O come, Emmanuel. It means inviting God's presence his salvation, God's love, God's grace. It means that Jesus can and will come into whatever the situation, joyful or seemingly hopeless, and that we should probably expect him to come. It means that the best and most loving prayer that I can know how to pray for someone else is for God to come. Oh, come, Emmanuel. Come, God, with us. It means that our best expectation for change when things are pretty bleak, you know, if you watch the news this week or last week, Ferguson or Eric Garner, our best expectation is for Christ to enter the world. For us to have our eyes and ears and hearts tuned for the ways and the times that he does. For us to have our imaginations transformed, primed, to be a part of that entry of justice and love and righteousness and peace. So last week we, we started this Advent season and we explored how to hope in this time that we find ourselves, this time between two Advents, between Christ's first coming and his birth and Christ's coming again in glory. We looked at Psalm 80's refrain. Restore us, Lord God Almighty. Make your face shine upon us that we might be saved. Restore us. And we ask, what does this have to do with Jesus? What does it have to do with me? And how can this become my prayer for hope? This week, uh, we'll, we'll move a few psalms later to Psalm 85. And we get the treat of of hearing those words in several different languages this morning, which is really cool. And I, I, I invite you guys to ask the same questions. What does this have to do with Jesus? What does it have to do with me? How can this prayer of love become my prayer of love? I invite Jay up, and Jay's going to read, and then actually Ricardo and Gideon, you guys can come up too. Yeah, that's great.
You showed favor to your land, O Lord. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people and covered all their sins. Surely his salvation is near those who fear him. That his glory may dwell in our land. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs forth from the earth, and righteousness looks down from heaven. The Lord will indeed give what is good, and our land will yield its harvest. Righteousness goes before him and prepares the way for his steps. โอทาราพยากรอดีปีรอโกไสเนตุ่ยรอมูเยปันซีติงตวาชิงโกขันยาตอยากุอมิวตาโดโกเปียนปุ๊เซรอมูบีโกรอีลูโดอปิโกซว
that first part that Jay read, that shows us that love is not just some romantic thing that we all get to decide for ourselves. Sure, we have best ways to show and receive love. I know my wife is loving me well when she does certain things. But I'm sure there's more than just five love languages, right? Love is really love when it forgives because forgiveness is costly. When we forgive someone, think about times when you've forgiven someone, how much it hurts before you do and probably even while you are forgiving someone. Forgiveness is costly. When we forgive someone, we don't just wave a magic wand at our hurt feelings or the sins that they have against us. God doesn't either. God takes on that hurt because God is love. Rather than simply returning hurt, He returns grace and healing and forgiveness. Love costs so much. To live this kind of love, it takes a lot of money and time, creativity and sacrifice, health and our future. When you truly love something, you give everything for it. And this forgiving kind of love costs God everything. His own son, a member of God's loving, joyful, generous, divine community, that trinity. The one whom he created the heavens and the earth with would now come to live on earth as God's people's Messiah. So this psalm, Psalm 85, starts with the psalmist begging God for forgiveness for God's people, for restoration, for, God to, for God's love to show up when everything looks like God is not showing up, they should take off and abandon the sinful world. The song starts by remembering all the ways that God has loved the world. And this would be a good exercise for us to just write all the ways that God has loved you in the past. The ways He's forgiven them. The way He forgives us. It seems like to me that when Scripture does this, when it... Um, when people in Scripture try to remind God that He's faithful or forgiving or loving, all those other adjectives, it's probably more for the writer in the audience than for God. You're not telling God anything He doesn't know. God's all these things. He hasn't changed and He won't. But sometimes we need to remember the love that because of sin or circumstances we don't always feel, we don't always show to others. Maybe that's our best approach to God in prayer. By starting out by giving God a history of His goodness, His love, His forgiveness, the ways He's delivered us, the ways He saves us. Maybe that does something to us, to our hearts, to our expectations, the things we can imagine. So if Love is most love when it forgives. Another thing we learn about love is that love is a collision. <laughs> How often do we think of love as a collision? I love this scripture, and it, it shows up in, in the prophets that love comes down. Love meets in the middle when it comes up. Salvation, somehow at the center, has Jesus. Fully man, fully God not floating somewhere detached from real life, not building a stairway to heaven or like Babel, 
but divine love and human faithfulness hugging. The righteousness of the only one that's called righteous leaving a peaceful kiss on earth. Does anyone remember, and maybe there's not a lot of Christian music fans, a couple years ago there was a song, and I think Jeff put it on the Do Not Playlist, and it's a song called How He Loves Us, or He Loves Us, and there's this lyric in there that I think got it banned, put it on the blacklist, and it says, so, set, so heaven meets earth like a sloppy wet kiss, right? Have you, have you guys sung that? It's like really kind of embarrassing, right? Whatever you think of that line, the, the psalm and the story of Jesus coming into the world shows us that kiss, that collision of love at the center of everything. Heaven and earth meeting, overlapping. Righteousness and peace collide into an embrace. It's surprising, it's messy, it's not wrapped up in a neat bow, but it's fully present. Jesus is fully present to what it feels like, what it means to be human. All the while drawing us to God, to communion with the Father. So I didn't set out to make this Advent season about like current events or politics or race, but and I'm not like prone towards activism, right? I'm not like one of those people by nature. But I have to say that the timing of what's been going on in our country during this season, what's happening now, it's it's really it's really timed well for this Advent season of hope and waiting and longing and, and even lament. It's really made this the most kind of focused and urgent Advent season I can remember. If you if you watch the news or click on something on the internet, you see protesters that are gathered in mass at, you know, the Brooklyn Bridge, or there was a die-in at Duke Chapel the other day in, on the lawn. Or maybe you saw like the kind of disturbing images of people standing in the middle of Durham Freeway at like 9 or 10 o'clock at night. I think all these people are hoping for, begging for, suffocating for peace and faithfulness to spring up, to meet. These demonstrators do pretty provocative things to try to maybe feel for themselves and then show and tell to unmask the kind of violence and hate that comes from fear. They try to show it for what it is. It seems that all these folks that we see on TV, some shouting, some lying as if they're dead, all in some way or the other are looking for righteousness to come down. Because righteousness always has to come down from someone higher, right? That's maybe like the most disturbing thing about this all having to do with, all these incidents having to do with corrupt police because we rely on police to be above us and to keep peace and to mete out righteousness and justice so it scandalizes us when we see these two things so separate, so disjointed. We get freaked out to think that maybe peace and righteousness are polar opposites they can't coexist. Maybe they're parallel lines that'll never touch, never intersect. Maybe we'll never see a day when, when people, uh, especially people kind of on the underside, hurting people, marginalized people, will be at the intersection of righteousness and peace. Maybe 
they'll be the victims of, quote, peace at the expense of righteousness, or maybe they'll grab at putting things right in some pretty unpeaceful ways. Doesn't it seem like to get one, we necessarily have to compromise the other? We can have righteousness without peace or peace without righteousness, but holding the two together seems to be too much to ask for a human being. Maybe it is too much to ask for a human being. Maybe that's the reason for Christ, the God-man. He's the personification of righteousness and peace colliding like, like, a, like a lightning strike. He's God's kiss to humankind. God's kiss to humankind. His son, his savior. He's the one that we long for even now. He can bring about this setting right kind of justice and righteousness that this country and this, this world needs. It needs now. It's always needed this. And that we, alongside with some of these people that are hurting so much, our black brothers and sisters in particular, we can cry out for. He's that one. Jesus is the one that stands at the intersection of God and man. The psalm hopes for in Jesus is still this hope. He's the one that we look for when we feel helpless or hopeless. Scripture says he's the one that can hold all things together. So knowing these couple things about love, there's a, there's a few calls that we get from this psalm. First is the call to meet Jesus, to experience this collision. And you might even have your life totaled in the process. This is like a car crash, right? That's okay. If, if you never had this collision, come talk to me. Talk to someone. There's a call also to receive like a gift over and over and over and over, a very tender and personal kiss from God where he says, you're my beloved in whom I'm well pleased. And he says that because of Jesus. And finally, there's a call to join Jesus, to kind of enlist in this sort of life that holds righteousness and peace, love and faithfulness together. Not because we can do something that God can do, but because in Christ we're, we're, we're part of, of the church, part of God's plan in the world to renew and to rescue in his name. So this morning, sometimes we get kind of lulled by this cute story of, with these cute children. Um, they tell, tell us the story of what God looks like in full display. The very image of the invisible God, the Word made flesh. Hopefully it jogs our memory and it remembers, it helps us remember God's breaking into a broken world. During this Advent season, we ask God to, to help our hearts make room for Him. To see Him, to know Him. We ask Him to Transform us by the renewing of our minds and have our eyes and our ears ready to see the places of sin and death and darkness. To see them as places with great potential for light to enter into, to transform. 
And during the season, we, we lament, we beg, we, we look forward to a day when Jesus will come again to judge and to put this broken world right, to heal our wounds, and to bring about a kingdom of, of peace. And that's what love looks like.